thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. And we've got another great show lined up for you guys today. I know we said we weren't going to be able to get you an episode before the New Year's. Me and Shockwave Dave were real busy with the holidays, but we absolutely could not wait to get you some of this content. First, we want to talk all about the craziness that is UFC 232. Uh, Moving from Vegas to LA, this shit is insane, and we're going to talk to you all about it. Plus, we have an exclusive interview with Colby Chaos Covington talking about his title shot, and we just can't wait to get that to you, especially with all that stuff about Kamara Usman possibly getting the next title shot right there out in front of us so you're going to get both of those things today and we hope you enjoy them both we want to remind you first of all though that this show is brought to you by adk fightwear go to adkfightwear.com for one of the best mma and bjj clothing brands out there it is family owned which means you're supporting a really great company all while getting high quality and cheap jiu-jitsu gear. That's right. It's super high quality. I've had the same rash guard from them for 100 plus rolls. This thing still feels just like I got it in the mail yesterday. It's got bright colors, doesn't pill, doesn't pull apart. The threads are all intact. This rash guard is still really nice looking even 100 rolls later. So you're going to want to get one of those and it's crazy cheap. If you use our promo code Turtle, that's T-U-R-T-L-E, all lowercase. You can get this rash guard that I'm talking about for just 20 bucks, and it's not the only thing that's that cheap for them. You can go get their signature shirt for just 6 bucks. You can get other t-shirts for like 14 bucks, and their spats are cheap, geese are cheap. Check them all out. High-quality stuff without breaking the bank. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. Daniel Gumby Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today I have the pleasure of speaking to Colby Covington, the former interim welterweight champion of the world. But Colby, I, I feel like that's kind of an awkward introduction because here I am using the word former, but you never really lost the belt. So I got to ask you, did the UFC ever tell you that they were officially stripping the belt? What, was there any kind of talk with you? And if so, what was that conversation like? As far as I'm concerned, I'm still the real world champion. You can call me the people's champion. You can call me America's champion. But I have a UFC world championship. No one's ever told me anything, and no one's beat me for it. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm the real world champion. So so you're saying that the, the UFC has never formally said anything to you, to an agent, or to anybody else? That they just stopped listing you as the interim champion on their website? Nope, never told me. As far as I, I, I had seen that it was still listed as me as the champion on there, so I haven't heard any otherwise, and it's not like I've been out for a year where they had to take it from me. So, you know, I'm still the real world champion. You can't take away my belt and, and the accomplishment that I earned. You know, I'm still the only fighter that's ever won a belt to go to the White House and, and hang out with the sitting president in the Oval Office. So, you know, I, I'm still the real world champion. Yeah, that certainly seems like a weird situation. Uh, so now, uh, obviously, then you had to, as the the sitting, you know, welterweight champion, and as as the people's champion, you you had to watch Colby Cup or uh, Tyron Woodley fight Darren Till for the division that you know you have a title in. What was it like watching that fight, and what did you think of that fight? Yeah, it, w- it was good to see a number one contendership for my belt. You know, it was good that they went out there and competed, you know, Tyrone Woodley's been faking injuries for 13 months. So he had to come back to the division and show that he was worthy to fight me for the real belt. You know, he, he's not a draw. He doesn't sell. No one cares about him. So 
it was good to see him back after 13 months out. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, I mean, Darren Till, you know, he's the doughboy. You know, all he does is miss weight. He can't even make weight. But, you know, zero significant strikes landed by the doughboy. That shows he was all hype. He was a marketing machine built up by the UFC. He should have never been in that position. So it's sad that he had, he was a little sacrificial lamb that night. But, you know, it just sets up a bigger blockbuster main event that I've sold since the beginning with me and Tyrone Woodley. And it's good that you mentioned Tyrone Woodley's injuries, too, because obviously we, we've got a situation now where we're hearing he's got injured hands and things like that. Have you been approached for the UFC about a date that this could possibly happen? I, I know there have been some some talks about finalizing this, but but what's the current status on that fight with Woodley? Uh, yeah, they, you, know, you know, the thing that they came to me for the first date and they wanted it at Madison Square Garden. He said he was healthy after his number one contendership fight with the Doughboy. Uh, and he was ready to go for November, and I don't know, I guess negotiations went bad on his side, and, you know, he all of a sudden he has a hurt thumb, and he can't fight in November, and then, you know, we were, they were trying to make the fight for January 33rd in Anaheim, and the pay-per-view in Anaheim, and then all of a sudden his thumb's too hurt, he can't fight in Anaheim, so they had to cancel the whole show together because he couldn't, you know, come out of hiding. He has to sit in TMZ and talk about, you know, the Kardashians' bathing suits and go do his little cameos in Hollywood. He's not here to make the welterweight division great again like myself, but that's a whole other story. So, you know, I've been approached uh, two or three times in the last couple of months for the fight with him, but nothing's coming together. So now we'll see what happens next. You know, there's been some rumbling, some other things, and, and we'll just see what happens. You know, there's, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Woodley's been faking so many injuries, and he doesn't want to fight me, man. Deep down inside, he can say whatever he wants on the outside. We've trained behind closed doors for many years, and he knows what happened when we, claim, when we train behind closed doors. He doesn't want to fight me. His coaches don't want to fight me. So who knows if he'll ever sign a contract to fight me. So I'm glad you mentioned the, the training behind closed doors, too, because obviously you guys trained at American Top Team for uh, together for a while. Uh, it seems like he's sort of not aligned himself with ATT anymore. Do, do you ever see him around there anymore? And if so, uh, you know, like how often? Yeah, he hasn't been here in uh, three years now. The last time we trained together, you know, he. I mean, he – you know, he has a big ego, and he has a lot of pride. And when he comes to a gym like American Top Team where it's the best gym in the world and he's getting beat up by guys like me and, and you know, some other guys at the time, Jorge Masvidal and, and whatnot. So, you know, he has a big pride, and, and he wants to be somewhere where he can control the training and make sure, you know, training goes according and he can keep his pride big and, and feel powerful and strong and quick. But, but deep down inside, he melts, and he has no cardio, and he knows that – at a place like American Top Team, we grind, and he's not made for the grind. So, you know, he's over at an easy gym now. He's at Pook Doofus over in Milwaukee. So they're doing a bunch of little touch butt training over there, and and uh, it's pretty sad, man. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, I, I don't want to pry too much into this, but you said behind closed doors he knows what happened. You know, you know, fighters sometimes have the unspoken code that they don't like to share everything but what happened, but could you tell us a little bit about how training with him typically looked uh, behind closed doors? Yeah, it was always the same thing. You know, I put on a pace in that first round that he couldn't respond to. His body shut down. Those muscles, you know, he has to get a lot of oxygen to feed those big muscles. So when those muscles are working and you're fatigued, it makes a coward of us all. But I don't get tired. I have porn star cardio. So I, I never get tired. All my All my hours in the bedroom with all my different chicks, you know, I built up such a high cardio that no one can hang with me anymore. So... 
You know, that that's kind of how it went every time is put a pace on Woodley during that first round. Second round, he's just, you know, he's, he gives up. He quits. He mentally checks out. He's too tired and fatigued with his big muscles. He can't. He's not as explosive as he normally is because he doesn't have the same pop in his step, and he's got blood that's filled up inside of his arms, so his arms are tired. And he just quits. I, I usually end up submitting him, and he just he get. But it's uh, it's really just quitting. He can't take the strikes anymore. All the, all the punches, he just gives up. So it was always the same thing. I knew how to beat him, and I had the strategy. And this is chess, not checkers. Absolutely. So and I want to go back to something you said a couple of questions ago, too, because we, we talked a little bit about this future fight with Woodley and whether it would happen. And you said, you know, there are other things on the table now. Obviously, you can't give us too many details here, but how many different things have been on the table? Because we, we've heard a lot of them. Yeah, there's there's been a couple. You know, I, I mean, I, I was going to save the day in, Mad- in Madison Square Garden and make the Garden great again. They offered me big Diaz. That fight was going to come together, but... You know, two weeks before the fight, then it was called off. He wasn't ready to fight yet. And, and you know, I don't want to go backwards and fight a loser like Nick Diaz because, you know, he hasn't won a fight in four or five years, and he's really irrelevant to the division now, and I'm the champ of the division. But I was willing to save the day and, and make it right for the UFC, you know, make the garden great again. The Trumps wanted to come down the, the street to support me. I had a bunch of military vets and, and, and a lot of – a lot of the servicemen and women that, that were right down the street in Washington, D.C., working at the Pentagon, that wanted to come down and see me. So, you know, it sucks I couldn't come to the Garden and make the Garden great again and make New York great again, but, you know, it just means that I'm going to have to go to Vegas and make Vegas great again. So I'm looking for March. Hopefully that's what's going to happen. So you're looking for March, and, and now obviously Tyrone Woodley is the name we, pr- we would like to see you fight the most, but have there been any other names floated around for that card? Obviously not Nick Diaz, but, you know, maybe one of the other top and up-and-coming welterweights that might be considered a top contender for the title. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, who knows what they're going to do. There's some weird shit going on in the UFC. Uh, you know, the UFC owes some people some favors. You know, they owe a guy like Ali Abdelaziz. He's got Khabib and He's testified on the UFC's behalf before in a lawsuit. So, you know, they owe that guy some favors. So who knows what's going to happen next? You know, I've already stated my case. I'm only going to fight Tyron Woodley. I got unfinished business with Tyron Woodley. We're going to fight for the disputed belt because the belt's disputed as far as I'm concerned. I I have a belt. So, you know, his his belt is disputed, and I'm only fighting for an undisputed strap. So we'll see if they can make it right. If they can't make it right and, 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 and do this right, then... You know, all hope is lost because all the fans, they know what fight they want. They want Willie versus Colby. They don't want Snoozman. They don't care about Snoozman. The numbers aren't there. It's not a bigger fight. You know, this is the fight that everybody wants to see. And who knows if the UFC is going to rob the people of, of the fight that's supposed to be made. Yeah, absolutely, and I hear your your statement there on Usman, too, because obviously he is uh, the name on everybody else's tongue. I wanted to talk to you about one more name, too, before we let you go. You know, obviously Ben Askren coming to the UFC made some pretty big headlines, uh, especially in the way that the UFC acquired him. Uh, What are sort of your thoughts on Ben Askren as a uh, contender in the welterweight division and, and where he stands in line? He's definitely not a contender in the division. You know, let's be honest. He's been fighting in bingo halls in Asia, beating a bunch of bums up, you know. He's not even ranked in the top 100. He needs to come over here and prove himself. You know, he's talking a big game. He bought a bunch of fake followers, but just because you buy fake followers on social media doesn't mean you're a good fighter and you get a bunch of likes from people. But, you know, that you know, he's got to come over here and prove himself. You know, it's just it would be criminal for me to fight a guy like that because, you know, I mean, I don't know how the commission's going to approve that, you know I mean? He's a 40-year-old virgin, and, and 
everybody's like, oh, he's got a wife, he's got kids. Yeah, you know, science. Let's be honest, science these days. We know that you can get that stuff artificially inseminated. So, you know, it, it would be a massacre if I fought a guy like that. You know, he's scared to get hit. Over, he fought my teammate over in Asia, and he had to poke his eyes out to get out of the fight. Luis Sapo, because he was getting his ass beat and he couldn't take him down, he's scared to get punched in the face. And as a UFC fighter, it's a whole different thing. If you if you're scared to get punched in the face, you probably shouldn't be over here doing that. But you know, he's he's looking to get a couple of paychecks and get retired, and and that's what's going to end up happening. He's going to get retired. And he's going to look really stupid, and and that'll be that. But you know, as far as I'm concerned, he needs to come over here and work his way up, just like everybody else. And, and then come talk to me. When you, once you get to the top of the mountain, then we can talk. And then I'll send you back to the bottom of the mountain. Absolutely. So so obviously uh, I want to end this by talking a little bit about that fight for with Tyrone Woodley. Before we let you go, you know, you, you said March is the date that you're looking. You're hoping it's Tyrone Woodley. If you had to put a percentage chance on how likely that is to happen, what, what are your thoughts? How likely are we to see Colby Covington versus Tyrone Woodley for the disputed welterweight title? I can't even put a, a number on it because there might be prejudicial stuff that's being against me. I feel like because I'm a Trump supporter and I support Trump that the UFC is being prejudiced against me because WME, IMG, they're a bunch of liberals. So, you know, I don't know. They might try and block me from getting my title shot because they don't want Trump to get promotion and, and to be marketed on a big title fight for the UFC because that's not on their political agenda. So, to be honest, I don't know what the chances are that's going to happen. Let's see if the UFC does it right. Let's see if they're going to pass me up for someone that's behind me in the rankings. Behind me. I'm number one in the world right now in the official rankings. Number one in the world should be fighting number one in the world. Why would number one in the world fight number two? I mean, maybe you would fight number two if the business was right and the numbers were there. But when you look at the numbers, and it's not even close. If you look at the viewership and, and everything behind it, all the demographics behind it, I mean, it's not even close. So if I get screwed out of the title shot with Tyrone Woodley, we will know that it was complete prejudice. Well, we certainly know that the numbers are there for uh, Colby Covington because every single time we have you on, the needle moves, so to speak. So, Colby, we want to thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Good talking to you guys. Have a good day. And that interview with Colby Covington was brought to you by Sheath Underwear. Look, guys, uh, and I am just talking to the guys out there for the most part. Guys, when you roll in jiu-jitsu, and I know a lot of you guys out there do, you know that your your down below, your downstairs mix-up gets really uncomfortable. That's because typical briefs squish your cash and prizes when you're rolling. So if you want to make sure that you get the support that you need, you know, because you don't want to wear boxers and let them flop all around and whatnot, if you want to get the support you need without feeling crushed, check out Sheath Underwear. SheathUnderwear.com for the only underwear that has an, a front pocket that not only keeps your guys supported but promotes airflow so that you don't feel too hot or too crushed and because it is moisture wicking and antimicrobial they don't get extra sweaty or anything like that and if you go there right now use promo code uh, flow that's flo you get 20 percent off your whole order so head to sheathunderwear.com right now and i of course am daniel gumby vreeland here with my co-host shockwave dave tremonti dave we got to break down some of this stuff with colby covington where do you want to start? Where do I want to start? I mean, that's like asking what's my favorite part of Christmas. The presents, the tree, uh, the eggnog, being drunk by midday. I, I don't know where do I want to start. I love that he calls Kamari Usman Kamari Snoozman. That's freaking hilarious. I love that he's setting up this WWE-style storyline where William Morris Endeavors is against him because he's a Trump supporter 
I mean, the guy is whacked out of his mind, and I love it. He's tremendously entertaining, in my opinion. I think he's working a bit of a gimmick sometimes. Whatever the point may be, he's a talented fighter, and there are so many fresh matchups at 170 that I need to see him in. I need to see him versus Askren. I love what he said about Askren. Uh, I need to see him versus Woodley, and I, uh, I need to see him versus Usman now. So I, I don't even know where I want to begin or where I want him to go in his career. Yeah, I, I don't know where to begin either, too, but I, I do want to, without just glossing over it, too, he mentioned that him and Nick Diaz had a fight pretty much set to go to save UFC and MSG, which is fucking insane. Like, nobody in the media even mentioned that that fight, or at least I never noticed any mention of that fight possibly being a headliner or being, you know, like a co-main event. And then there it is, right there, fucking Nick Diaz versus Colby Covington. That, that would have sold me on that card. Yeah, I agree with you on that. If it's real, I I feel like every Nick Diaz rumor that comes out, you have to take with like 30 grains of salt. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the UFC was just 30, trying to... Like, maybe 30 people. picograms of salt. Ah, that's good. Very topical. <laughs> I like that. Uh, but I can't even talk about Nick Diaz rumors because there are just too many of them and the guy hasn't fought in five years. I will say if the... If I had a gun to my head, I would want uh, Colby to just fight Woodley next. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do agree that it's getting a little ridiculous with the interim title being there and taken away. I think the question needs to be answered. Who's the best out of Colby and Woodley? And then we could go from there with Usman or Askren. What do you think? I, I 100% agree with you. And I was actually downright shocked when I saw that Dana White was leaning towards Kamara Usman in a recent report, just being the fact that he seems to lean so heavily now on who he thinks he can sell better. How do you not feel like Colby Covington is the guy you can sell better? Like, how do you feel like that's not the lead up for you? You know what I mean? I, again, I don't trust anything Dana's saying right now. Him and Colby just went to the White House. They were in the Oval Office together. Colby Covington is the only UFC fighter to ever be in the Oval Office. I I just, I don't believe for a second that that's really where Dana's leaning. Um, And you know what? Maybe that's a topic for another day when you can't trust the actual matchmaker of the promotion. But that all being said, Gumby... Uh, Colby's a tremendous interview. Hit us up on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA with your feedback on that interview and what you want to see happen for Colby in 2019. Is it Snoozman? Is it Askren? Is it Woodley? Uh, a lot of fresh matchups at 170 pounds. Let's make 170 pounds great again. Uh, but we are here in a truncated mini holiday week episode and we're going to be breaking down UFC 232 from Las Vegas. Scratch that, California. Gumby, before we get to that breakdown, I ask you, does any fine company bring our fans the breakdown? Of course, this UFC 232 breakdown is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Head to SISUGuard.com for the only mouthguard where you can eat, breathe, and drink all with the mouthguard up in your mouth. This thing is a feat of science. It has small perforations in it that allow airflow into your teeth while still protecting them, and it makes doing jujitsu or any sport for that matter so much easy because you don't need one of those big bulky mouthguards. So once again, head to SISUGuard.com and get the right mouthguard for you. 
All right, I'm wearing my CSU mouth guard right now, and I bet you can't even tell. That's how light and thin these things are. They still protect your chompers, but you could talk perfectly. So, guys, we're going to start with the main and work our way down. So I'm sure the degenerate gamblers will stick around for the entire card. But if you're just a casual fan and you just care about the main card, we'll start there at the main event. And I would be remiss. I would be remiss. Not to mention, we are running a promotion on our Twitter right now. You can win yourself a UFC fighter autograph if you tweet at us, at Top Turtle MMA. Predict the five-fight main card. Who's going to win? I don't even need to know how they win. Just tell me which fighter's going to win, and then tell me, in case of a tiebreaker, how many submissions will there be on the entire fight card? Will there only be one submission? Will there be no submissions? Will there be five, six, seven, eight, nine submissions? Give us that. Enter your chance to win a UFC fighter autograph. I'm so excited about that promotion that we're running. We already have some great interaction on that. It's at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. Gumby, before we get to the breakdown, is there any other house cleaning? Anything else I should mention about our promotion? No, just make sure that you head on over there all the time for all of the stuff that we've got going on on Twitter because it's not just that. Sometimes we have some trivia, some live trivia going on, and lots of other cool little factoids and pieces. So make sure you follow us at uh, Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. And you can follow me at Gumby uh, Vreeland, V-R-E-E-L-A-N-D, for all my writing content as well. All right, so let's start with the main event. Uh, John Jones, the GOAT of fighting and the GOAT of drama surrounding his <laughs> fighting, is finally back. And five years in the making, uh, we finally get the Gustafsson rematch. I recently rewatched it. Uh, I still believe Jones won. It was his closest and tightest fight ever, though. I take nothing away from Gustafsson. Uh, so Jones... Five years later, we get the rematch. Jones is coming off a no contest versus Daniel Cormier, i.e. a win, but then he popped for the rocket fuel. That's another story for another day. That was a year and a half ago. Uh, Gustafsson coming off two very nice performances, uh, lost the first round against Jan Volkovic, but then came back for a unanimous decision win, winning the next two rounds, and then an absolute demolishing of an aging Glover Teixeira back in May. He's on a two-fight win streak. Before that, he lost to Cormier and Anthony Johnson back-to-back. You know, he also, it's funny, you know, Jones has actually fought more recently uh, than Gustafsson. Gustafsson fought May of 2017. Jones fought July of 2017. But when you go through all the drama Jones has been through, it almost feels like the opposite, does it not? Yeah, it does, and I think that's some reason why people keep giving uh, Gustafson a little bit of credit and a reason for Gustafson to win here is that Jones' big layoff, Jones' drama, Jones' drug test, drugs is... All of that stuff aside, Gus has not been the most active fighter, and when he has, even if you look at his last two fights, you mentioned he looked really good against a very aging-looking Glover Teixeira, a Glover Teixeira that did not look solid at all, and then he lost the first round via takedowns to Jan Blankovic before eventually using some takedowns of his own and winning kind of a dicey split decision. If you're having trouble with takedowns or not looking real great in the wrestling game, John Jones is not the guy you want to fight. And I assume John Jones comes out here boxing and John Jones tries to make this into a striking match. But at the same time, I just don't have a whole lot of faith in Alexander Gustafson as a challenger, especially when I feel like most of the credit being given to him is due to the fact that he has less of a layoff, which isn't true. Yeah, for me, this is Jones all day. Uh, 
And unless I see something different, it's one of those things, and we talk about this all the time when we do breakdowns, until you see Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson lose, you don't pick against him. Until you see Anderson Silva lose to Chris Weidman, you didn't pick against him. There are certain fighters that are just on this run, and I don't see Gustafson. It could be another close fight. I don't see Gustafson changing that. I actually think Jones is somewhat peaking. I mean, the finish of Daniel Cormier, the combos, the head kick, was massively impressive mm-hmm. after Jones had been on a bit of a streak of, you know, going to decision, almost GSPing things. So, and Gustafson, mind you, also uh, has been in some wars. You know, he got clipped by Anthony Johnson. Maybe it was a headbutt. But then the Cormier War, which was a split decision loss, and albeit, you know, he came close to finishing that fight in the third round, but still a war nonetheless. And like you said, he hasn't really been actively fighting. For me, it's Jones all day until I see it change and maybe this drama or the fact that he's not on steroids or he is on steroids, whatever the case may be, the safe bet is Jones and Vegas agrees he's a minus 265 favorite to Gustafsson, a plus 245 dog. We'll move then to the co-main event. Amanda Nunes, the 135-pound champ, is fighting Cyborg. The one for the excuse me, Amanda Nunes, the 135 pound champ, is fighting Cyborg, the 145 pound champ. Nunes is a plus 215 dog to Cyborg, a minus 235 favorite. Cyborg is coming off a win, surprise, surprise, over Yana Kanekaka, something I barely even remember. I do remember her taking the unanimous decision win over Holly Holm back in December of last year. So in the UFC, Cyborg is 5 and 0. No one has really challenged her other than Holly being able to last the distance. Amanda Nunes is on a streak of her own. She is on a seven-fight win streak, coming off a big TKO over Raquel Pennington, split decision win over Valentina Shevchenko before that, and of course she beat Honda Housey with no head movement back in December of 2016 uh, to defend her title for the first time. Wins over Misha Tate, though. Two wins over Shevchenko. Win over Sarah McMahon. Gumby, before you give us your prediction here, just tell me this. If Nunes were to beat Cyborg, is she the best female fighter of all time? I think you probably got to say yes. And I'm a little bit biased right now in the world of MMA when we're talking about the greatest of all time. I have a little bit of recency bias. And I think that's sort of because we're in an age now where I feel like fighters were better than they ever were before. Um, and, and when you talk about Amanda Nunes going up a division to win a title, you, you could probably point to some women in the past who've won titles in multiple divisions because there used to be less women to fight. And, you know, even Rousey fought it at featherweight for a little while in some promotions. But this is a time where she's actually going up and fighting somebody who there's no chance she would have ever made 35. You know what I mean? Like Rousey was fighting 45ers who probably could have gotten in shape a little bit more and and made 35 or, you know. Uh, Tara Rosa was fighting, you know, 45ers who probably could have lost a little bit of weight and made 35. This is 145 pounds of solid muscle and a killing machine when it comes to fighting. Nunez, this would make her resume as good as any resume in history. And, and possibly, I'm talking either in, even in the men's side, when you consider that she beat Rousey, she beat Cyborg, and she beat Misha Tate. That is just like one of the most incredible resumes of all time when you consider those three in one sentence. So I think if you're talking resume-based and talent-wise, if she comes out here and beats Cyborg, I think you've got to consider her the GOAT. 
I agree. And I would also say, I mean, I would definitely do it because right now I feel like Cyborg is the GOAT female fighter of all time, but she would have the win over Cyborg. If she goes out and then beats Holly Holm next and now has four champions on her kill list, mm-hmm. I mean, that would certainly secure it for me. But I even think just with the Cyborg win, it probably does it. That being said, uh, what is really the path to victory for her against Cyborg? I think she's got to work on uh, basically on stamina alone here, and I think that's sort of even not a good thing for Amanda Nunes because uh, to me, my thought is is that Cyborg is much bigger, Cyborg is much bulkier, and as a result, Cyborg's probably going to tire out a lot more quickly. But then again, you look back at some of Nunes's fights. And Nunez is not necessarily the most durable, long-lasting fighter of all time, too. You know, I'm thinking back on the Karolina Kowalkiewicz fight, the first one. She fought her in... in am I thinking of the right fight here? Cool. Yeah, no, you're not, because Nunez and Carol... Oh, you no, thinking no. Of, you're thinking of Shevchenko. Oh, Shevchenko. Yes, I'm, I'm getting yeah. my uh, my Eastern European gals uh, all mixed up. Yeah, um, yeah. when she fought Shevchenko, she, she looked really good in the first two rounds, and you'll remember she got really tired for the third, and Shevchenko sort of took over. And, and it didn't happen so much the second time, but, but, like, that's fresh in my mind. You know what I mean? It's like when she fought Shevchenko, Shevchenko had the better gas tank. And to me, if if she's going to be a much bulkier, stronger, probably more technically proficient striker in Cyborg, she's going to kind of have to outlast her and outwork her volume-wise, and I just don't see it happening. I agree with that completely. We'll move to the third fight from the top of the card, and this is probably one of the funner fights with two guys coming off losing streaks. Michael Chiesa is riding a two-fight losing streak, uh, both via submission, surprisingly. Lost to Kevin Lee via rear naked choke. Uh, no shock there. Kevin Lee is so good on his back, which really is a shout out to Ally Aquinta for surviving when uh, Kevin Lee took his back. But I'm going off on a tangent. Uh, and then Michael Chiesa lost to Anthony Pettis via triangle armbar. So he's on a two fight losing streak. He's fighting Carlos Condit, one of the funner fighters and really a fan favorite these past few years, probably on his way out on a four fight losing streak. Losses to Robbie Lawler via split decision in one of the greatest title fights of all time. A rear naked choke loss to Damian Maya. No shame in that. But then he loses to Neil Magny via unanimous decision and eats a guillotine choke, losing to Alex Oliveira back in April. So a four-fight losing streak for Condit, a two-fight losing streak for Michael Chiesa, but two very fun action fighters. Who you got? Uh, I'm going to go with Michael Chiesa on this one, and I'm going to go Michael Chiesa by sub. And it's really a really simple equation here is that if you look at some of Condit's worst fights recently, he gets taken down and he doesn't look particularly good on the ground. And, and even though, you know, if we look back at, at Chiesa being on a losing streak, if you go back and look at his entire record, he's got a crazy amount of people he's taken down that are pretty good notches on his belt. You know, like he took Anthony Pettis down twice. He took down Benil Dariush. He took down Jim Miller twice. He took down Francisco Chernaldo twice. Twice. He took down Joe Lozon. Um, I mean, like, he took down Jorge Masvidal twice. Like, the, the list of people he's taken down, he took down Ally Aquinta. You know, like, if, if you look at the list of people he's taken down, they are good grapplers. You know, like, top to bottom, he's taken down good grapplers. Mm-hmm. Carlos Condit is not a good grappler. You know what I mean? Carlos Condit has shown over and over again that he's not that great of a grappler. And to me, it's only going to take being on the floor with him once for Michael Chiesa to probably advance to a position where this is over. 
Well, it's interesting you say that because I agree with you completely, and you could right now get Chiesa wins by submission at 2-1 to one plus 200. That's crazy. So maybe not a bad <laughs> Yeah, maybe not a bad prop bet there. Uh, I agree with you, so I'm not going to offer any counter. We'll move on to another very fun fight on this card. This one at 205, and you have Alir Latifi taking on Corey Anderson. Uh, Alir Latifi uh, coming off of two wins in a row, a guillotine choke over Ovin St. Preux uh, in a performance of the night bonus back in February of 2018, unanimous decision win over Tyson Pedro. You'd have to go back to him getting KO'd by Ryan Bader back in September of 2016 for his last loss. So he only fought once in 2017, only fought once in 2018. I guess technically he'll end up fighting twice, getting in just under the wire here before New Year's Eve, but hasn't been all that active. Corey Anderson is coming off of a win over Glover Teixeira, unanimous decision back in July of 2018, beat Patrick Cummins via same method of victory back in April of 2018. So good 2018 for Corey Anderson with two wins. You'd have to go back to November of 2017 when he lost to Ovin St. Preux via head kick uh, and also got knocked out by Jimmy Manoa in March of 2017. So not a great 2017 for him, two losses. Good 2018, two wins. So two and two in his last four. Who you got here? Uh, I'm going to go with Ilo Latifi. You know, like, I, I really have hoped for Corey Anderson to be that, like, young up-and-comer to break into the top, you know, 10, 15. And, and he's gotten up there, but he's certainly sort of crashed out for me before being a challenger. If you look at his last two wins, he wins by decision against Glover Teixeira and Patrick Cummins. Sort of fringe top 15 guys at the present moment. And, and they're two guys who are not at risk at knocking you out. You know, Glover Teixeira at this point in time, unless he gets on top of you in mount, he's probably not getting a TKO. Same with Patrick Cummins. You're probably going to brawl with him. He's not going to knock you out standing up. If you look at his last two losses, they're to two guys who can and did knock him out standing up in Ovin St. Preux and Jimmy Manoa, and in sort of brutal fashion, at least from St. Preux. And now he's going to face off with another dude who has an incredible amount of muscle and power. And I just think that, like, maybe his chin isn't going to stand up to Ilya Latifi. All right. I like it. Well, if you want to go by the Vegas odds, uh, you would have Alir Latifi at minus 150, Corey Anderson a plus 130 dog. Uh, if you want to do a nice prop bet, Latifi wins by submission at plus 675 is hilarious. Uh, he is coming off a guillotine win. Anderson wins by TKO KO at plus 1025. He just doesn't finish people. (laughs) Yeah, that actually is pretty funny. Uh, Anderson wins by submission at plus 1600. So you could really see that Vegas favors Latifi for the finish here, not so much Anderson. If Anderson's going to win, it's going to be via decision. Uh, I also want to step back one because I did fail to mention this on Chiesa and Condit. Condit is a plus 145 dog. Chiesa a minus 165 favorite. I'm actually surprised Condit isn't more of a dog. Uh, but, you know, I think Chiesa's probably priced right at one, minus 165. Uh, starting off the pay-per-view is probably the best fight, I repeat, the best fight over 135 pounds where both fighters are 5'6 or less. So I'm going <laughs> to repeat that. It's the best short man fight to ever take place over 135 pounds. So can't, you know, can't take in Dillashaw Garbrandt here. They're at 135, but above 135, this is the best short man fight of all time. It's Alexander Volkanovsky on a five-fight win streak in the UFC. He's 5-0 in the UFC. 
absolutely brutal ground and pound, top control, Habib-esque, if you will. He's fighting Chad Mendez, who, after popping for steroids and a two-year layoff, came back and hit a TKO on Miles Jury back in July. He's on a one-fight win streak, not much of a streak. Before that, he lost to Frankie Edgar and Conor McGregor back-to-back. Very high-profile losses, so he's one and two in his last three. Volkanovski, 5-0 and in the UFC. Uh, Vegas has this at um, pretty pretty tight odds, I guess you could say, with Volkanovski at plus 135 and Mendez minus 155. I actually think Volkanovski should be the favorite, but what says you? Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on this one. I, I don't think he should be the favorite just because if you look at their bodies at work, when you're thinking from a Vegas perspective, you're looking for where the money's going to come in. Mendez has got the name. Mendez has got the past fights. I mean, Mendez has been in how many title fights at this point in time? Four. Um, so, like, at, at this point in time, you, you would probably expect Vegas to give him the nod. But at the same time, I'm going with Volkanovski here just because I, I believe the hype behind Volkanovski is for real. They're, they're jumping him up the rankings Pretty quick here, you know, like I think he's chilling right around 10 in the UFC, current UFC rankings. When you compare that to Mendez, who's, who's kicking around in the top five, it's a pretty substantial jump. But I think that what he has is the right stuff to nullify what Chad Mendez does. Chad Mendez has got some explosive hands, but really, without his wrestling to sort of threaten Volkanovski and to scare Volkanovski... I think his hands are not quite as good. You know, like I think some of the reason why he cracks people as much as he does, people like Miles Jury, is because Miles Jury is afraid of the takedown. Whereas Volkanovski here is a very competent wrestler, especially defensively. And I think in this case, as long as he can stuff Mendez once or twice, let Mendez know that that's not an option, I think he winds up going on the offensive here, backing Mendez up and winning this fight. Yeah, I agree completely. I think I look at this much like I look at Ida Sonya Anderson Silva matchup. Uh, I think this is the matchup. It's the name fighter for Volkanovski to beat and then propel himself to a title shot at 145. So I really like the matchmaking. Uh, but it won't be a park for him by any stretch of the imagination because I think Mendez's wrestling matches up really well with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very interested to see the fight, and uh, I'm pretty excited that it's kicking off the pay-per-view. We'll move now to a more rapid-fire fashion. Uh, this is the uh, Fox Sports 1 prelims, and these are going to be the last prelims to ever be on Fox Sports, so shed a tear now. Of course, most of the crew, Karen Bryant's of the world, Michael Bisping's, they're all moving to ESPN. But, of course, Fox won't be a part of it anymore. So we'll move then uh, to Andre Arlovsky, your boy. I know you're a big Arlovsky fanboy. He's a plus 155 dog to Walt Harris at minus 175. Uh, who you got? Uh, I'm going with Arlovsky. I, I know I've been over this a hundred times. I, it's criminal how many times this dude is an underdog. And, like, what has Walt Harris done to be a favorite in front of him? You know, like, Walt Harris fought... Uh, you know, Fabricio Verdum and looked like a fish out of water. And I'm not saying that Andre Arlovsky wouldn't get beat by Fabricio Verdum, but he wouldn't look completely incompetent against him. You know what I mean? Like, if you look at so far what Walt Harris has done, he's like beat Daniel Spitz and Surreal Asker by ground and pound. You know, like, he got, you know, like, 
beat up by Fabricio Verdum and Armbard in, in just barely over a minute. And I, I mean, I guess you could call the, the loss to Mark Godbeer because it was, you know, an illegal head kick and he probably was going to win that fight anyway. I guess you could give him the Godbeer fight, but just like when you look at Arlovsky's body of work, even Arlovsky's losses look so much better than that loss to Verdum. I think you got to go Arlovsky here. All right, not going to argue with you. Uh, we'll move to one of the more exciting fights on the whole night. You have Katzengano taking on Megan Anderson. This will be at 145, uh, so Katzengano not dealing with the worst weight cut. Katzengano, a minus 150 favorite, somewhat shocking to me, versus Megan Anderson, a plus 130 dog. Who you got? Uh, I'm going to go with Katzengano. I- I'm almost a little surprised in myself, but looking back at their resume, I'm, I, in, in looking back at some of their past fights, I mean, Zingano looked really good against Renault recently. I mean, she did lose a split to Ketlin Vieira, but Ketlin Vieira is a killer. Uh, and, and meanwhile, if you look at Megan Anderson, she looked really unimpressive in that last fight um, against Holly Holm. She, she also, like, you know, I, I think I have sort of a selective memory when it comes to her because I'm such a big fan of her. But if you go back at her fight against uh, Charmaine Tweet in, in Invicta, she winds up winning by head kick, but she did get tagged a bunch of times in the first round. And if Charmaine Tweet is tagging you, Kat Zingano will probably tag you. All right. I, fit, I think it's interesting. I just I want to see Kat at 145. I do think Megan Anderson is going to have the reach still, obviously mm-hmm. a bigger person. Uh I'm interested to see how Megan Anderson does in her second UFC fight. This will obviously be a huge litmus test. I lean Megan Anderson, but uh, I like everything you say there, and obviously Kat is the favorite. We'll move on, though. Douglas Silva, DeAndrade is 3-2 and two in the UFC. He's a plus-255 dog to Peter Yan, a minus-310 favorite, who sits at 2-0 and oh in the UFC. Who are you going with here? I'm going to go with Douglas De Silva and DeAndrade. Uh, I, I just think, you know, even though he's coming in as a pretty substantial underdog here, he's a guy who beat Marlon Vera. He also beat Cody Gibson. He gave a really good fight to Rob Font. I think you got to nut him over Peter Yan here because Yan has fought two... Guys who pretty much have proven they can't deal with any wrestling game. Um, so to me, he's relatively unproven unless you like go back to some of his ACB fights. So I, I like uh, I, I like uh, Andrade here. All right, we'll move to a very interesting fight on the card. Ryan Hall, who we both love as Jits nerds, has not fought since beating Gray Maynard in December of 2016. So it's been two years. I don't really know what went on there, uh, but that's the case. He's fighting uh, the legend, BJ Penn. BJ Penn, of course, is on a five-fight losing streak in the UFC. But let's just take it from uh, coming out of retirement. He lost to Frankie Edgar in July of 2014 and took three years off, or two and a half years off to be exact. He's since come back and lost to Yair Rodriguez via TKO and lost a majority decision to Dennis Seaver. So if BJ Penn was new to the UFC game, he's 0-2 in the UFC. He's in his upper 30s. He's basically CM Punk in a lot of ways, uh, 0-2 in his upper 30s. But it's BJ Penn, and we obviously know he brings a pedigree into this fight. Who are you taking here? Uh, you know, I'm going to go with Ryan Hall here. If, if we're just looking to pick a winner, I'm taking Ryan Hall. But I will say this about the situation. If you look at the odds, BJ Penn is a substantial underdog. I'm talking like 5-6-1, to one, I believe. And I don't think that that... Well, let, hold on. Let me let me give it. Uh, Ryan Hall is a minus 450 favorite in most books. You could get him as high as minus 515. And BJ Penn is trending or averaging out at about 
plus 375, as high as 400 in some places, and as low as 360 in some. Okay, so that's gotten lower since the last time I took, but still at like 4-1, to one, I think there's some value in there at BJ Penn, only because, remember how Ryan Hall fought Gray Maynard? He basically fell to his back and invited grappling, and if he did that with BJ Penn, I think he would probably get the grappling match he was looking for, but I don't know that he would sub BJ Penn, and then does he spend the whole fight on his back, and how does that look in a judge's book? It, it just seems to me like this is a really weird fight that BJ could win, and if you ask me who to pick and who to win, I'm going to say Ryan Hall, because Ryan Hall has not looked as bad as BJ Penn has, but if you're thinking stylistically, plus 400 is sort of enticing for BJ Penn. All right, I like where you're going with there. That wraps up the Fox Sports 1 card. We'll move then to the UFC Fight Pass prelims. You have Andre Ewell versus Nathaniel Wood at bantamweight. If you want the odds on that, you could get Andre uh, Ewell as a, let's see here, minus 105 and Nathaniel Wood minus 115. So Vegas doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Gumby, tell us what the fuck's going on here. Um, I mean, these are two guys who stepped into the UFC for their first fights and both beat some pretty impressive dudes. You know, Ewell stepped into the UFC after winning the CES title and, and fought Henan Barrow and won a split decision. Wood stepped in and fought Johnny Eduardo, who used to be ranked as well, and Darce choked him right away. So, you know, like, both of these guys have stepped in and done really impressive things. I, I tend to lean on Nathaniel Wood here just because I like his grappling better than I like Ewell's. I think both of their striking is perfectly adequate, but as uh, you know, sort of Ewell pointed out, like, his his grab, or his striking is as adequate as, like, an aged or or worked-out Henan Barrow, whereas Nathaniel Wood can use that but also can threaten the grappling and probably put him away with some pretty good grappling. Uh, we'll move then to Bavon Lewis, minus 110, and Uriah Hall, also minus 110. Vegas doesn't know what the fuck's going on here. Gumby, tell us what the fuck's going on here. I'm going with Bevan Lewis, cause, just because I think if you look at Bevan Lewis, the dude's 6'3", so he's going to match Uriah Hall's size. He might have a slight reach disadvantage, but one of the things that he does really well in his fights, and if you saw him on the Contender Series, you'd see this. He's actually been on the Contender Series twice. He does a really good job of backing people into the cage and working them over, and when you think about what Uriah Hall does worse, it's keeping his back off the cage. I mean, you've seen it since his very first fight in the UFC against Calvin Gastelum. He just can't keep his back off the cage. He just has a problem with backing up, and I think Bevan Lewis can take advantage of that. So we've only seen Bevan Lewis on the Contender Series, but he did come away with a win, so somewhat of an exciting prospect. Uh, we'll move, though, to Curtis Melander, a minus-150 favorite, against C.R. Baja Zara, a plus-130 dog. Uh, C.R. Baja de Zarda, so tough to say, is on a three-fight win streak with finishes in all three fights, an arm triangle choke over Brandon Thatch, a TK over uh, Rob Wilkinson, and a KO kick to the body and punches against Lon Chagas uh, back in April of 2018. But he's the dog here. Who you got? I think I'm going to c with Curtis Millinder, too, because even though you mentioned like, that he's got those, like, three really impressive fights, you also have to go, that win streak started in March of 2016. You know, so it is a three-fight win streak, but it has taken him quite a long time to get to a three-fight win streak. Like, if he gets a four-fight win streak here, it will have pretty much taken him three years to do so. That's a really long time. Whereas, if you look at, at Curtis Millinder, this is his fourth fight this year. And in those four fights, he's also beaten Tiago Alves and a really game Max Griffin, who recently just beat 
um, Platinum Mike Perry. So Curtis Millinder has got some crazy good uh, resume builders in there, and his knees are pretty insane. For Bahadurzara is kind of a shorter uh, guy for that division. You know, he's not particularly tall. Guys with dangerous knees are difficult for guys who are not particularly tall. All right, let's bring this all home, kicking off the entire night on what should be a great pay-per-view. You have Brian Kelleher, a plus-140 dog, taking on Montel Jackson, a minus-150 favorite, 160 favorite, excuse me, Kelleher, 3-2 and two in the UFC, coming off a loss to John Lineker via KO. No real shame in that. Does have a win over Hennon Burrell. Uh, Montel Quick Jackson... Uh, the Uber prospect is one and one in the UFC. Although actually, I don't know if we count Dana White contender series as being in the UFC. He has a win on the contender series and he lost to Ricky Simon at his pay-per-view debut back in August on Dillashaw Garbrandt two. So he's one and one under the UFC banner. Who you got here? I don't understand why, and this is the, the second or third time I've mentioned this too. I don't understand how Brian Kelleher winds up being underdogs in a lot of these fights. The dude choked up Uriah Kantara. He got caught in a very tricky submission as he took down Marlon Vera. Apart from that, he blasted Damian Stasiak. He absolutely outworked Hennon Burrell. And he lasted to the third round with certified killer John Lineker. That's right. He lasted the third round. Now, he did get beat. He did get caught with a hook. But, like, who wouldn't get caught with a hook from freaking John Lineker at this point in time? Whereas Montel Jackson has shown he gets outworked by guys who can out-wrestle him a little bit, right? Like, Ricky Simon is a decent up-and-coming name, but the fact that Ricky Simon outworked you is probably not a good sign, and as a result, I really like uh, the underdog odds here on Brian Keller. All right. Well, that wraps up our 232 preview. Hit us up on Twitter, at MMA. We are accepting both love and hate feedback there. We're always running crazy promotions, trivia. We're very proud of our Twitter feed. You can download us on download us on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, really wherever a podcast is being streamed. I am Shockwave Dave. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. Gumby, am I forgetting anything? Uh, in addition to making sure you follow us on Twitter, make sure to check out all of our sponsors, ADK Fightwear, Sisu Mouthguards, and Sheath Underwear. We really appreciate them, as well as Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. Love it. I'm Dave. He's Gumby. We're out.